Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Our prayer is that through today's message, you're both encouraged and challenged wherever you might be in your walk with Christ. Now open your hearts to be changed by the Word of God. Good morning. I may just go preach in the parking lot. How about that? Y'all have to join me. Hey, would you jump to your feet with me real quick? Oh, thank you. You're amazing. My bride, she is real. I almost had to, right? (laughs) She's real. I almost had to drug her and hogtie her to get her here. But uh, no, one of the biggest things I kept saying is I'm like, you're going to fall in love with him. You're going to fall in love with him. And she was like, oh my gosh, I already love him. And uh, so I am so grateful that she's here. So here's the rule when it comes to with with my bride being here. My son's in Denver. He's at a youth and government event. And uh, when my when I don't have anybody to go home to, man, I can preach all day long. So we may just dismiss. We may just go straight till December 10th and then go straight into caroling. But no, seriously, I've got a word and it's going to be a little bit of a different style, if you will. Doesn't mean I'm not going to go towards the back. It doesn't mean I'm not going to scream a little bit. But I want us to go on a journey. And I want us to, you're, you're going to hear a ton of scripture that we're going to just, we're going to let the, the scripture do the work. If, that, if that's okay. And we're just going to go from scripture to scripture to scripture. And we're going to take a walk with one of my favorite people. I love Jesus. He's my favorite person in the Bible. But one of my favorite people, and it was because he was one of Jesus' favorites. And it was Peter. And I can relate a lot to Peter because, man, I've messed up. You ever said anything and after you said it, you're like, ah, oh, come back to me. You wish your like brain lost signal for a moment and you just went silent and went mute, right? Peter had those moments. But yet, it will walk through scripture and we're going to see not only how God used him. We're going to see the level in which that God had planned. And if God can use Peter, God can use you. Amen. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to go to that place where decisions are made. And uh, I want you to make a decision right here, right now, on whether you're going to try to have your way with God or you're going to allow God to have his way with you. And if you're here and you're like, you know what, I just want God to have his way with me. No matter what's said, no matter what's done, I just want to say, God, speak to me and have your way. If that's you, I want you to raise both hands towards heaven as a form of volunteer. Both hands stretch. I want you to reach like you're trying to get something off the top shelf. The good stuff's on the top shelf. With your hands raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. Speak to me and transform me by your word. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind that's ready, willing, and able to believe and receive every word that you would speak into my existence. I give you full permission and access to do what only you can do. But from this moment on, you have my attention, you have my permission, so have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. You want to say something? Come on, I'm going to bring her up. Come on. I feel so honored to be in the house today. He has talked about y'all nonstop for, what, six months or so? And so I feel like I already know so many of you. Thank you for having us. Um, You know, that song that you were singing, 
about Jesus being faithful in every season. I sat there. You know, isn't it crazy how when you, you could hear a song a million times and sometimes it just hits different? And standing right there, I was just going over just how good God is, how good the Father is, right? Anybody else in here, have you had a rough season? Maybe the last few seasons, right? I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Because I was sitting here thinking, and over the last seven years, it has been really hard. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail, but seven years ago, I lost my dad. And then immediately, my mom started declining. Lost my mom. Right after I lost my mom, he got COVID, almost passed away. And during that time, our daughter um, attempted suicide, our oldest daughter. And um, she's a miracle to even be here. And I'm so grateful. And um, she's, she's the one that has um, two, grand, uh, two babies and made us grandparents. And she's married and doing amazing. And God is really, really doing so much in her. She's healed, restored. I'm so grateful. But I'm sitting there thinking of these seasons, and, and it's just been so crazy. But you know what? I stood there, and I'm like, God, you are so faithful. In every season, you are so good. And I just give you praise, and I worship you, because you know what? I'm still standing. And in those moments, those rough seasons, I can literally stand here today and say I'm stronger. I'm braver. I have more courage. And it is because of him. Because during that time, you know what? I, I, I hid. I hid in who he is, right? So if you're having a really hard time, don't run away from the Lord. Hide. Hide in the cleft of his rock. I mean, he is so faithful. And it's during that time, it's, it's an opportunity to grow. You know, when that part where it said um, though it, something about rain, the rain, yeah, rain came, wind blew, and I'm like, boy, did the rain fall. Boy, did the wind blow. But you know what? My foundation was on Jesus, and I'm so grateful, and he is so good, you guys. I, I'm just, wow. And so, you know what? During this time, if you're going through a rough time, I want to remind you that, you know what? Nothing catches him off guard. He knows. He has you in the palm of his hand. Allow him to develop you into the person that he wants you to be, right? Because sometimes, sometimes he allows those, that wind and the rain to fall because he wants to position you. He wants to align you in his calling, what, you know, your destiny. And so allow those moments to shape you, to form you, to develop you, because I promise I promise that it will not last, but you will, if you allow it, you will be stronger. You will stand up f more firm in who he is. So anyway, that was what I had on my heart. <laughs> I love you. I love you. So good. Yep, I'm not coming back. They're going to bring you. I'm okay with that. Hey, behind every man of God is the, still, the, the real preacher, right? I still, all my messages from her, it's okay. And, uh, but man, I'm so grateful because at tight end, she had no idea what I was speaking and I had no idea what she was going to say, but I want to talk to you because Peter had walked through that season and Jesus is about to, he's at the, 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 the culmination, if you will, he's at that, that last supper. And I want you to think about this for a moment. 
when, if you've ever been to a football game, if you've ever been to a basketball game, you've ever been to that sporting event, and they have that break, and maybe that team's walking into that locker room, and they're down, and they're discouraged, and they're being defeated, right? That coach has got to get them out of where they've been or necessarily what has happened and get them prepared to finish strong. So Jesus, the coach, has gathered his team around him. These guys have walked with him for three, year, or three years, and they're, they're there. They're weary. They're tired. They're frustrated. They're discouraged. They've heard, they've heard rumors. There's, there's just, they've seen the demeanor on Jesus change. They've heard all these threats, these accusations. There's confusion running through them, and Jesus has them, and he knows that this is the dinner. This is his last opportunity to really talk to his disciples and to say something that's not going to just be for that moment, but it's going to push them into that fourth quarter of life. And so Jesus does one of the greatest halftime speeches, if you will, that literally flips everything around. And I want us to read about that. It's truly one of the most inspirational talks I've ever heard. Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Right after Mark 14, we're going to go to Luke 22 and then John 20, and then there's just going to Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. But Mark 14, we're going to start reading about this in verses 27, and we're going to read through 31. Father, I just ask that you would lend me your voice for the next few moments. God, there is no one, and I mean no one in this room that needs my advice, and they definitely don't need my opinion, but what they need is a word, the word from you. So, Lord, I pray that not only would you hide me behind the cross, make me invisible, so that it's not about me, but it's about you. I'm nothing more than a microphone that you speak through, a messenger that's carrying your message. So, Father, would you have your way from this moment on, and God, speak with such clarity, with such relevance with such impact. And Holy Spirit, I need your help, so have your way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Mark 14, verses 27, it says this. You will all fall away. Jesus is preparing these disciples. They're already weary. They're already discouraged. And here's the pep talk. Here's the, you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to fail. How encouraging is that? And we look at it like it's a negative thing. They're like, uh-oh, he's down. <laughs> Matt, I may make I may start going to the sides instead of the back. Listen, we look at These hard moments, these reality moments, these bringing you back to earth moments as something hard and difficult and negative but you need to understand Jesus is looking at the disciples the ones that we read through in the gospels the ones that we read their books that take encouragement but you have to understand that you have to be willing to fail in order to succeed you have to be willing to have some breakdowns in order to have some breakthroughs And you're going to walk through storms. You're going to walk through times. We talked about it last time I was here, the midnight miracle. If Paul and Silas would have never went through that beating and that that prison, they would have never saw that, 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 that jail guard would have never encountered God and his family. 
And it's not just about what we're going through. And he's talking, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's looking at Peter. He's looking at John. He's looking at James. He's looking at his disciples. And he says, you're going to fail. You're going to fall away. The, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. But, he goes on. I want you to look at that word. But, after I have risen, after I will go ahead of you, now, why is that such an encouragement? Why is this one of the greatest pep talks that we can ever read in Scripture? Because Jesus is really saying, listen, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to fall short. But still, I'm going to use you. In spite of all your mistakes, in spite of all your problems, in spite of all your failures, I've got a plan, and my plan will come to pass. Can I tell you that God is not intimidated by the times that we mess up? God is not, he doesn't give up on us because we fall. What happens is we give up on ourselves when we fall and we stay down. Jesus is always reaching out a hand to pull us up. He says, listen, you're going to fall away. That's part of my plan. I've incorporated that into what I've got planned for you. He goes on, he says, you will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen. After I've been knocked down, after it looks like I failed, I'm going to rise up and you're going to rise up with me. He says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. You ever told God you weren't going to do something that he just said you were going to do? How'd that work for you? Isn't it funny? You're like, oh God, I'm not, that's why I'm like, I'm never saying, God, I'm not going to Africa. Because let me explain. He'll be like, I'll be going to Africa. I just simply say, God, your will be done. Here Peter rises up. We see his foot in his mouth. We see that he's stepping ahead of his brain. And he says, even if all fall away. He's basically throwing all the other disciples under the bus. Even if they mess up, I'm not going to. And Jesus goes on, he said, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice. Everybody say twice. It says, yes, today, even tonight, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So everybody, how many times is the rooster going to crow? How many times is Peter going to deny him? Don't forget that, very important. But it goes on, it says, but Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter began to have a spiritual temper tantrum. He has been exposed. Jesus says, listen, you're, you're all going to deny me. You're all going to fail. You're all going to fall away. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never. I'll never fail you. I'm never going to fall away. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, not only are you going to fall away, but you're going to disown me three times before tomorrow morning. It's going to happen right now. And Peter began to say, even if I have to die. See, a lot of people will say, man, it's easy. I'll die for Jesus. I'll die for Jesus. You know what's hard? Not the dying. It's the living. I'll live for Jesus. It's hard. I'll live for Jesus when the, in the storms. I'll live for Jesus in the chaos. I'll live for Jesus in, in, in the times of loneliness. I'll live in, for Jesus in times of discouragement, in times of depression, in times of lack. I'll live for Jesus. That's what's hard. And Jesus says, listen, 
See, what's crazy is Peter forgot a conversation that Jesus had with him. See, Peter was one of the guys where Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Jesus, if you remember, I've said this before here. Jesus never asks a question to get information. He already knows. He wants you to come to the understanding of your answer. Who do people say that I am? And people said, well, they, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say the pro, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus brings it down to a level. And then he looks him in the eyes and he says, but who do you say that I am? See, it's one thing for everybody else to have an opinion about Jesus. But who do you say that I am? And I love what Peter does. Here, here's Peter, right? You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And he says, no one has exp exposed this to you except for my father in heaven. But tell no one. So we know Peter knows who Jesus is, right? But Peter and, J and Jesus have this conversation. And I don't know exactly where it took place and what was going on at that very moment. But imagine this conversation. Hey, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you've ever had a bad day, your worst day in your entire life, you have never had a face-to-face -face opposition with the enemy called the devil. You may have had uh, uh, an encounter with one of those demons, but you have never in your entire life been tempted or tried by Satan himself. He is not Jesus. He cannot be multiple places at, at, the, at, the, at the same time. And I promise you, he's not dealing with us. He's dealing with presidents and kings. Satan himself says, I want to sift him. He, he did that, that whole Job moment, right? Well, he's one of your favorites, Jesus. Put him in my hands. Let me have my way with him. And I promise you, he'll curse you. I don't know what that conversation was between Jesus and, and Satan. But he says, listen, go ahead. I'll pray for him. Hey, Peter, there's a sifting coming. Satan has desired to sift you, but I prayed for you. Somewhere that got filed in the back of Peter's mind. I don't think he ever forgot it. He didn't know what it meant. But this is the sifting that had to take place. So now watch this. He said, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And the, all the others said the same thing. Now flip with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke tw 22 verses 54 through 62. Jesus is leading the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. The sifting has already started. Judas has, has left to betray Jesus and sell him for 30 shekels of silver. He's went, but yet, here's 11 of the disciples that we know of. At least 11 of the disciples. We don't know if there's more people or not. But it says this, that Jesus led them into the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you actually study it, it says that he told some of them, wait here. And then it says he took Peter, James, and John a little further. Now, I don't know if I've ever said this here, but if I have, it's worth repeating. He took Peter, James, and John a little bit further. What does it mean to go a little bit further? 
Why did Peter, James, and John get to go further with Jesus than other people? Why did they get to go to the mountain of transfiguration and see Jesus be be revealed in the glory of God? Get to see Moses and, and Elijah. Why was it that Peter, James, and John, if God is not a God of favorites, if God is not does not love other people more than than others, why is it that Peter, James, and John consistently get to go further? Why didn't he bring all 11 of the disciples and say, stay here? You know that scripture where it says many are called but few are chosen? Do you know that we actually mispronounce that? We actually take it completely out of context, the way that we interpret it? Because it does not say, not in the original translation does it say many are called but few are chosen. In the original translation it says many are called but few choose to. See, if it says many are called but few are chosen, it's almost like God's doing the choosing. But it's not. God gives every single one of us the opportunity and the decision to go as far as we are willing to go. But some people are not willing. Some people are satisfied with just maybe dropping 10% and singing three songs and maybe studying the scriptures for 10 minutes a day. While there's other people that are saying, God, everything I have and all that I ever am, I'm submitting and surrendering to you. God, my life is not my own, but my life is yours. They're willing to go further. Something in Peter, James, and John, even though these other men had followed Jesus for three years, there was something in Peter, James, and John that was willing to go further. So Jesus brings them further, but yet he has to stop them and he says, you've got to stay here. I'm the only one that can go this far. And he brings them forward and he stops them and he says, just pray. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. You know what the problem is? We're really good at praying after we fall into temptation. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Repair instead of prepare. Every single one of us have the opportunity to prepare ourselves with God. And spend time with him and say, God, listen, you know what's coming my direction. You know what I'm about to face. I need your help. I need your provision. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Reveal to me. Do whatever you need to do in me to prepare me for the days ahead. And some people don't take advantage of that. And then they mess up. And they're like, man, I need to repent. The problem is if we would start preparing instead of always repairing, we'd have a better prayer life. Because it's instead of just saying, God, I'm sorry, we're actually listening to his will and his plans. So he's, Jesus is telling them, I need you to prepare. There's a sifting coming. And he goes further. He starts praying. That's where the prayer, not my will be done, but your will be done. If this cup can pass from me, God, let it be so. But, but if not, I'm here to fulfill your will, Father. And somewhere, I don't know if he heard some snoring. But it caught his attention that the three that were willing to even go further than the others were asleep. And he goes and wakes them up and he says, your your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Wake up, get ready, prepare. And he goes back, your will be done. Finds them asleep again, comes and wakes them up. He does it three times. And on the third time, the time had come. There was no more time to prepare themselves. There was no time to to pray. The time, the season was on them. And that's where we're going to begin to read in Luke 22, verses 54. It says, then seizing him, which we're talking about Jesus... 
they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Can I teach you how to backslide real quick? Because if I teach you, then you don't, can't say you didn't know. <laughs> what did Peter say just a few hours before that he would never fall away? Even if everybody else, he would never fall away, right? But then he says, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. Now watch this. Watch what occurred. It says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Don't forget that. It's very important. Peter followed at a distance. Can I tell you, you will start doing things you said you would never do when you allow distance to come between you and Jesus. What does that mean? When you can go one day without getting in your word, when you can go one day without getting in his presence in prayer, when you can allow time and distance to come between you and God, can I tell you, you are allowing other things to get between you and God. And one thing you said, you would die for him, but now you can't even walk with him. But watch this. Now, why did I tell you it's so important that, that to remember they, they rested him and they were taking him to the house of the high priest. Does anybody know at, the, at this time who the high priest was? Nope. I thought so, but it wasn't. He hadn't transferred the authority yet. A man by the name of Annas, A-N-N-A-S, was the actual high priest. But here's the crazy thing. He's not actually, according to lineage and bloodline, the high priest. He is a Roman governor appointed fraud. Let me explain something. In order to be the high priest, you had to be the firstborn son of the firstborn son of the firstborn son all the way to Eleazar, who was the firstborn son of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. Aaron was the very first high priest of men. And God says, in order to be the high priest, your firstborn son will then take over the reins. So Aaron had a firstborn son by the name of Eleazar. He became the high priest. Why is that important? Very important. The Romans they could not control the actual high priest. So what they did is they bribed a man and said, you're going to be the high priest. You're going to be the person that settles the Jewish people. And if you don't get them under control, we'll slaughter them all. So get them to fall in a line. Do what we tell them to do and not rebel. And so Annas did, he looked the part. He wore the priestly gar garments. Even the people, knowing that he wasn't the true high priest, followed him as a religious leader. He was about to transfer, listen to this, he's about to retire from that role. And he's going to make Caiaphas his son-in-law. Not even blood. The next high priest. Does anybody have a clue who the actual high priest was? John the Baptist. His father, Zechariah, do you remember when John the Baptist's dad went in and was making provisions before the Lord? And for 400 years, they had not heard God. They had not felt God. There was silence. And all of a sudden, he's going there learning how to be faithful. That's a sermon I may preach a couple months from now. Can I tell you, what do you do when you don't feel God? What do you do when you don't hear God? What do you do when you can't see God? You remain faithful. 
His grandfather remained faithful. He taught his dad how to be faithful. And who taught John how to be faithful? His dad. He watched people be faithful before them, even though they had never experienced God. So Zechariah went in to make provisions. He, see, because here's the truth. According to scripture, only one man, one time a year, the actual high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, go past the curtains, go past the veils, and make provision and make atonement on behalf of all of the children of Israel. If you were not the high priest, so what would happen is they had these garments on. If you've ever read it in Deuteronomy, they would have these little garments, this, this ephod, and it would have bells and pomegranates on the bottom of it. And they would tie a rope to the foot of the high priest who walked into the Holy of Holies because if there was sin in his life, they couldn't go in and get him because if there was sin in his life, he would be struck dead and he would die. And since they couldn't go in there because they themselves would die, they would pull the rope. They would literally just turn their backs and pull the rope and drag him under the curtains. The reason they had bells on it is because as long as they heard the bells, they knew he was alive. If they didn't hear the bells... Must have had sin in his life or he was a fraud. So Annas was not about to go into the Holy of Holies. So what he did is he had the actual one, Zechariah, go in. And all of a sudden, Zechariah, he is making provisions. He's serving the Lord faithfully. And an angel comes to him and says, listen, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Isn't it amazing when they couldn't hear God and couldn't feel God, they remained faithful and kept praying. And he says, your prayer has been heard. And you're going to have a son. And he's not going to just be any son. He's going to be the one. He's going to be the, the, the reed. He's that, that, not going to be broken. He is going to be the voice. He's going to be the one that re, begins to turn people's hearts, return the children back to the father. He's going to be the one that makes provision he's going to be the, the the forerunner of the promise of God to come you remember that and then all of a sudden John the Baptist shows up you remember this and he's not like anybody else and he's baptizing people does anybody know what baptism is according to scripture the word baptism in Greek is baptismo it means water burial so basically, when you repent and you be water baptized, you go under the water representing burial. The old man goes down and behold, the new man comes up. The cleansing, the old ways, the sinful nature stays down. It goes down the river. It goes down the drain. That is, it's the first public statement of you making a life, committing your life to Jesus for the whole world to know. And so people would come to John the Baptist and be and, and, and in repentance and, and say, hey, listen, you need to baptize me. So I'm going to surrender my life to God. And so John's preaching this, this, this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, it's coming, right? And then all of a sudden he says, but one who comes after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He's not going to just baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And guess who shows up? And what does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus crawls into the river and he says, I need to be baptized by you. Why? Jesus had never sinned. Jesus had never, had, had never committed unrighteousness or wickedness. Why would Jesus need to be water burial? But if you ask Jesus, he says, listen, permit it not to be so, but let me be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, you need to baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. Well, what does that mean? How is John the Baptist water baptizing Jesus 
fulfilling righteousness. Okay, I'm glad you all asked because you all have that calf looking at a new gate look. Okay, do you remember the cross? Do you remember the Roman governor over that region by the name of Pontius Pilate? Whenever they made a decree and they wrote something, it became the law of the land. I don't know if you know that or not. So when Pontius Pilate wrote this little note and said, King of the Jews, he actually made it law at that moment. But according to, there was a difference between Roman law and God's law. And in order for it to become God's law, something had to happen. So he nailed it to the cross, which said, Jesus is the King of the Jews. But can I tell you, Jesus could not be the King of the Jews according to the Old Testament unless the King was anointed by the high priest. God doesn't, he doesn't do things that he asks, or he doesn't ask us to do things that he's not willing to do himself. He knew he had to be anointed. So therefore it says that the heavens opened up and it says the Holy Spirit representing the oil. In order to be anointed as king, you had to be anointed by oil. There was six quarts of oil dumped on that person's head. Well, they didn't have physical oil. That wasn't the need. It was the anointing of heaven. The oil was going to flow over Jesus. And then guess what? The creator of all, the father, the, the king of kings screams from the throne. Here is my son in whom I am well pleased. Are you ready for this? Jesus becomes the king. But do you remember an angel coming to Mary and says, listen, you're going to have a son. And she goes, well, how's that going to happen? Uh, I know what it takes, and I've not done that. <laughs> and he says, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you so that the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you so that the one that's on the inside of you is the Son of God. And behold, his throne will last forever. He will never, his, throne, his kingdom will never end. Okay, now watch this for a moment. John the Baptist then dies. You remember that? He gets arrested. Do you know why John the Baptist actually got killed? Anybody know? Because he took a stand against pornography. I don't know if you know that. Herod, demonic king, actually was living in such fornication and immorality, he married his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, he started raising his niece, slash now stepdaughter. They throw this party. King Herod and Herodias, his wife, hated John the Baptist, wanted to kill him. But Herod feared him, knowing that he was a prophet. He throws this party, and all of a sudden, his niece, slash stepdaughter, starts dancing a very perverted intoxicating, lust-filled dance, he's so given to it, he begins to lust after her. He says publicly, ask me for anything up to half the kingdom and I'll give it to you. And she begins to conspire with her mom and says, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. I want him killed. So because he had made this declaration in front of all the people, he had John the Baptist arrested and killed him, cut his head off. Can I tell you, pornography quiets the voice of God. But you ever asked why John the Baptist had to die so quick? Do you remember? He says, listen, I must, I must decrease so that he can increase. His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. But when Jesus came, he says the kingdom of heaven is here. 
right? He had a job. He was a forerunner. He was a foreteller of the things to come. But now that he's anointed Jesus as king, why did John the Baptist have to die? Because if John the Baptist would have got married and had a firstborn son, then that firstborn son would have naturally become the high priest and he could have anointed another king. But since John the Baptist was the last living high priest of man, he can never anoint another. Another king can never be anointed representing Jesus. He, his kingdom will never end. He was the king then. He's the king now. And he'll be the king forever. Somebody give him some praise. But watch this now. So there's a lot just in that one scripture. Peter began to follow at a distance. They're going to Annas' house. So they kick out everybody in the house. And it says, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, who is Peter sitting down with? He's sitting down with the butlers, the servants, the people that serve the high priests. They're kicked out in the middle of the night and they're in the, court, they're the courtyard. They're cold, so they make a fire and Peter sits down with them. He sits down with the people because and the reason they had to be kicked out because they did not want to he, anybody to hear them transpiring against Jesus. And so when they had kindled a middle, going back to Luke 22, 54 through 66, it says, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. The servant girl said and saw him, or the servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She said, looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Didn't he just say he was died for him? And now he doesn't even know him? There's number one. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are with him. You were also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Now, here's the part. Bobby, here's the part that confuses me. Jesus had just said, before the rooster crows, representing time, not just an action. Before the rooster crows, when do roosters crows? Sunrise, right? He knows what time it is. He can see darkness starting to become dusk and light. He's denied Jesus twice, but he still remains sitting there. Now watch this. Watch what the word says. And it says, about an hour later he sat there and waited for the word the promise the prophetic utterance of Jesus to come to pass if you've already denied Jesus twice wouldn't you shut your mouth and go somewhere but when you're allowed distance and you're falling down a hill it's hard to stop yourself it says an hour later Another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. You look like him, you talk like him, you act like him. But Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster, he was within seconds. But once that word had been fulfilled, it was time. And it says, and just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now watch this. The Lord turned and looked straight at him. He did this within sight of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that look looked like? Angry? You think it was angry? You think it was disgust? 
You think it was compassionate. You think his eyes were filled with tears. And here's the great, the best part. This is why I love my Jesus the way that I do. He's being spat on. He's being ridiculed. He's being accused. He's being punched. And he's not even in the conversation. He's more concerned with his friends. The rooster crows and he turns. I can imagine the hug, the embrace of heaven that Peter felt. He's so overwhelmed that it goes on and it says that Peter went outside and began to weep bitterly. Can I actually teach you something about that? It wasn't about how he wept. It wasn't volume. It was depth. Weeping bitterly actually means this. He wept until bitterness left him. Can I teach you something about altars? Can I, can I teach you something real quick? We come to the altar and our prayer time is concluded when somebody dismisses us. Can I tell you something? You know your encounter with Jesus is done when what you've been dealing with is no longer on you and it's no longer in you. It may mean that you're the last one out of the building. It may mean that, that the music gets turned off, the lights get shut off. Can I tell you, you grab a hold of God and don't you dare let go until those chains and those doors and those cages are shattered over your life. He wept until that bitterness. Bitterness had always been in him. It's, what, it's the reason he grabbed a sword and cut off the ear. It's the reason that he, he was so ashamed but yet moved in pride and said even if I have to die with you Peter was led by bitterness he was gripped and consumed with bitterness but now he's going through this sifting and he begins to weep and he says I can imagine oh God how could I do this how could I have done that to Jesus we know the story Jesus then is led he's brought to the Pontius Pilate that the king doesn't want him he sent to Pontius Pontius says no he you take him the king says I'm not touching him and they, they condemn Jesus to the cross we know the story he's martyred he pays the price on the cross for us to receive the gift but there's a scripture in Corinthians chapter 13 you guys probably know it very well 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it's read at funerals, it's read at weddings. It's one of our favorite verses that we like to quote. And it says this, now these three remain, faith, hope, and, and the greatest of these is love. It's almost like love's more important than everything else, isn't it? Hmm. Another misunderstanding and another misinterpretation of Scripture. The Bible does not say the greatest, meaning it's the best. It actually is referring to, it, referring to a timeline. It's saying, but the oldest of these is love. Why? Because we were created out of love. To walk with the Father in the garden, there was no need of faith. There was no need of hope until they were outside of the garden. And that's when faith and hope came into the picture. But now watch this. Flip with me to John chapter 20, and I'm going to read really quick. So don't try to follow me. <clears throat> John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Everybody remember that. And she says, the, the one Jesus loved. 
uh, the other disciple was the one that Jesus loved. Remember that. It says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, but the, as they were running, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was neatly folded up by itself, separate from the other linen. Remember that, very important. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside he saw and believed they still did not understand from scripture that they had to that Jesus had to be raised from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside of the tomb crying as she wept she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been one at the head and the other at the foot they asked the woman why are you crying they have taken the Lord out of the way and I don't know where they have put him uh I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But as she did not realize that it was Jesus, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener. Remember that. uh, uh, The gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, which means rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not take hold of me yet, for I have not returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I'm returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. A lot to unpack here. Right? Mary represents hope. Ever since Jesus had set her free from being demon-possessed, all by calling her name, he set her free. And this is a woman that has completely dedicated her life and put her entire hope and trust into Jesus. So Mary represents hope. Hope goes to the tomb, finds it empty. Not that she was hoping to see anything. She knew that he was dead, but all of a sudden the tomb's empty. So hope runs to Peter, and does anybody know who the other disciple was, the one that Jesus loved, who who that person is? That's John. You know what's crazy is John's actually writing this from a third-person point of view. He is not worried about whether or not people know his name, but he's obsessed with people knowing that he was the one that was loved by God. John was consumed by the love of God. Right? So Mary runs and goes and finds Peter and John, who represents love, so hope goes to find love and Peter. But wait a second, how does Peter fall into faith? Do you know that Peter was the only disciple that Jesus ever said had any faith? You remember, up to this point, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, he said, you have no faith, you have no faith, you have no faith. And all of a sudden, one day, they're on this, the boat, and Jesus says, go to the other side, I'll meet you on the other side. And there was a storm they were walking, they were going through, and they saw this ghost. They thought it was a ghost walking on the water. And one of them said, it's a ghost. And they said, no, that's the Lord. And all of a sudden, Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, Peter, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat, took a couple of steps, and began to sink. Right? And then he cried out, Jesus, save me. Jesus grabbed him, pulled him back in the boat. And what did, Peter, what did Jesus say? You of little faith. I'd rather have little faith than no faith. Last time I checked, faith of a mustard seed can say to this mountain, be thou cast out into the deepest of seas. Little faith moves mountains. Now watch this for a moment. See, he got back in the boat, and a lot of us preachers love talking about how Peter's, uh, Peter, Peter's faith faltered, and it failed, and he began to sink. But I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. There's a lot of people that talk about how big their faith is, but they're sinking. Can I tell you, you can't pray for the sick unless you go pray for the sick. You'll never see healings. You'll never see breakthroughs. You'll never see awakenings unless you begin to step into uncharted territory. And I would rather only take two steps and begin to sink than step in the, stay in the boat and never do anything. There's a lot of people whose faith is dry. They're doing nothing. Yet they're the ones that condemn everyone that's trying to do something. 
Peter represents faith. Hope goes to the tomb, finds it empty, runs and goes and gets faith and love. Faith and love are running to the tomb, but it says out, love outran faith and got there first. Write this down. Love will get you to Jesus quicker than your faith will every day. What am I talking about? There are some times where my faith isn't too big. But my love for God puts me on my face. My love for God puts me in his word. My love for God causes me to remain faithful. Love will always get you to Jesus quicker than your faith will. But then it says love got to the tomb, did not go inside, and then faith arrived. Oh, something happened when faith shows up. It says faith went in. Point number two, faith will take you places that love cannot go by itself. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith without works is dead, meaning faith without feet is going nowhere. But they saw something. They saw something. It says that they saw the strips of linen lying there. There were two types of cloths that were in that tomb. The cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' body and the cloth that was on Jesus' head. And both of them spoke to them in the absence of Jesus. And in order to understand what they said, you have to understand Hebrew history. See, what happened is they had these feasts of the weeks. They still do it to this day. And they have these feasts at certain homes and certain places where you go, and you go for breakfast, you go for lunch, you go for dinner. But you can't stay there all day long, so you have these pre-designed mannerisms that would speak on your behalf of your absence. And one of those is if you grabbed your napkin, you wiped your mouth, you washed your hands, and you threw it down. That meant and spoke to the servants, I'm done here. I'm finished. You can clean this up. Can I tell you that the cloth, the burial cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' body was wadded up and thrown to the side? Why? He said, it is finished. He said, you can come to the tomb, but I'm not going to be here. You can clean this up. I, it is done. The price has been paid. But then there was another cloth that was neatly folded up. That was on Jesus' head, representing the future. It was neatly folded up. And if you grabbed your napkin at these feasts, and you folded it up, and you placed it to the side, that spoke to the servants, I'll be back. Have we forgotten that in Thessalonians, that with the blast of the trumpet, that the dead in Christ shall rise, and then those that are living will meet him in the air? Have we forgotten that he's paid a price? It has been finished, but he's coming back for us, church. He's not neglected us. He's not abandoned us. He's not forsaken us. He's went to prepare a place for us. And if he goes, he will come again. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. The disciples saw it. They ran out of the place. And that yet hope remains. Hope always remains. She looks in the tomb. But she doesn't see strips of linen. She sees angels. Angels, can I tell you, hope opens your eyes to things that other people can't see. Love gets you there. Faith reveals things to you and teaches you. But hope grants access to revelation. She sees something. What does she see? Two angels seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other foot. That kind of confused me until I started studying the Holy of Holies. Where only one man one time a year could go in. And the glory of God was in that Holy of Holies. But there was a curtain. And the Ark of the Covenant had two golden angels that stood at attention. One wing touched one wall, they met in the center, and the other wing touched the other wall. 
and the Shekinah, the Kabod, the heaviness of God's glory, his presence sat upon their shoulders. Why are these angels seated? Because their job is done. The glory of God is no longer held hesitant in a room where only one man. Because when Jesus died, the veil was torn. The glory of God was revealed. And the presence was released to all men to find. So she, she's crying. Can you imagine that these angels like, why are you crying? This is the greatest day of all time. Now watch this. I got to hurry. What made her turn around? You ever wondered about that? What caused, it says, and at once she turned around and she saw Jesus didn't realize it was Jesus, thinking that he was the gardener. What made her turn around? What do you think the angels did when Jesus himself walks up? Sit down or maybe fall to the ground and begin to cry out, holy, holy, holy. And she turns around like, what are you doing? And she sees him and she's like, I'm sorry. And she's thinking he's the gardener. Why? Because Adam, before he sinned, was the gardener, man in perfect state. She turns and says, wait a second. He says, woman, why are you crying? She says, if you've taken the Lord away, tell me what you've done with him, and I will go get him. And all he said was, Mary. I've heard that name. I've heard that voice. I've heard. And she went to cling to him, and he says, wait a second. You've interrupted the resurrection. Do not touch me, but instead go tell people. Not of what I've done, but of who I am. I'm going to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. The spirit of adoption has been released on the earth. You're no longer orphans running around. And she went with the news. I have seen him. You know what this world needs to know? Not what color our seats are, not the songs, not the sermons. They need to know, have we seen him? And when we see him, there's no denying it. Let me finish this quickly. They go back about their business. They go back fishing. You remember this? Because I believe that this is coming to Tacoma Carry. I believe it's happening in this city now. But I believe that it's about to explode in this city. They go back. And they're doing what they know to do. They're fishing, right? And they're not catching anything. Not that they're even trying to catch. They're trying to figure out what's going on. But it says in John 21. It says after Jesus appeared to the, to his, again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. John, uh, Simon, who is, uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, were together. And they said, we're going to go fish. Peter said, told them, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, he, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side. Can I tell you, we can do everything and it be on the wrong side. But when we begin to do it God's way, we begin to do what he's telling us to do the right way. It says they threw their nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the nets because of the large number of fish that were caught. Says the disciple, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, loved, says to Peter, it's the Lord. 
And as soon as Peter heard him say this, that it was the Lord, he ran out, wrapped his outer garment around him and he had, that he had taken off and he jumped into the waters and swam to Jesus. Why? Because faith ain't going to be beat twice. He gets there. Do you remember the conversation that they had? Jesus is walking with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. And then all of a sudden it got really deep. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And all of a sudden that brokenness showed up. And I can imagine him thinking in his mind, Lord, I've failed you over and over and over again. But I love you with everything inside and I will spend my life showing it. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? Because for every act of disobedience, God gives you an opportunity to make it up. And it's not through performance. It's just simply love him. God doesn't need people to perform. He doesn't need action figures. He doesn't need perfect people. He's looking for sons and daughters that will just love him. So they go out. And this is where the whole journey begins to take on a different side. He opens up their minds to Scripture, Luke 24, 45 through 53. He opened up their minds so they could understand from Scripture. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise on the de- from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been, watch this word, clothed. I'm going to send you. I'm going away. We've forgotten that Jesus says, listen, if I go away, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending you the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. He tells them, listen, I'm going away, but I'm sending you what is promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with on high. See, can I tell you? Ephesians says that we have the the armor of God. We have the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We have a shield of faith and we have a sword. But nothing covers our nakedness. And so we get saved and we have a helmet of salvation, but we run through the streets spiritually streaking. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, but you're naked. What does that mean? That means somebody that comes to Jesus, kneels down and says, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Salvation came upon you. Sins have been washed away, but you are not covered. How do you get covered? I'm not talking theology. This isn't an assembly of God, a Baptist, a charismatic thing. This is a Bible thing. He says, wait in the city until you've been clothed with on high. See, we go to the altar to get forgiven. We don't go to the altar to remain to get clothed. He says, remain. Wait, remain until you're clothed with power from on high. And then he goes on and says in Luke, 20, uh, Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. Which of you as fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children who ask, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? The promise. The teacher. The helper. The comforter. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to everyone? Listen to these words. Everyone who asks. Acts chapter 1 verses 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
I need you to, I need to bring some clarity real quick before I bring this to a close. You ready for this? No one on the face of the earth needs to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence and speaking in tongues to go to heaven. It's not accurate. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Only through, your name has to be written in the Lamb's book of life. You have to surrender your life, and that's your only access point to heaven. So you don't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues to go to heaven. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues to go to Walmart. Why would I say that? Because if not, you are not clothed. And why do we continually dismiss the Holy Spirit just because we don't understand it? I don't understand oxygen, but I thank God for it. I don't just hold my breath and say, I'm not going to do it. It's not about speaking in tongues. That's the proof. It's not the purpose. The purpose is to give you power. When you know not what to say, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 26, it says the Holy Spirit through you. When I was dying, she came in. There wasn't a whole lot of English going on, but I thank God she knew how to pray and touch heaven. Can I tell you, beloved, what this city needs is not just another message, not another song, not, a, not another, a bigger building, not another program. It needs men and women that are filled with the Holy Ghost, that are blood bought, blood covered, sold, sold out, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled that walk through the streets. And you don't have to bring them to church then. The church goes to them. I want to see suicide destroyed in this city once and for all. It's going to take people getting so full of God that there's no access left to anything else. So here's the best part. Let me get the worship team to come on up. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were together in one place. Suddenly the sound of a blowing, violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them. Can I tell you something, beloved? The upper room started with 500 people. It dwindled down to 120. 380 people. They didn't know what they were expecting. They didn't know what to wait. It took 10 days. They waited in that place for 10 days. Why do I say that? Because it may not come. Your breakthrough, your empowerment may not come immediately. But like Shelly says, you got to wait. You got to remain faithful. You got to continue to stand on that firm foundation. And when you get it, you can't deny it. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then one day in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, faith and love, are walking to a prayer meeting at 3 in the afternoon. And they walk through the gate beautiful. It's where all the priests walk through. And they find this hurting man who is paralyzed, begging for money. He's crying out, change. Does anybody have any change for me? I'm not, I don't need your, you can keep your coins. I need change. And Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at him and he says, look at me. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man is instantly 
healed. It says grabbing him by the hand. See, the world, what we've been doing is we've been trying to give handouts. The world doesn't need a handout. The hand, they need a hand up. Starts running around. The religious people, the Pharisees, began to go, wait a second. I thought we killed Jesus. But yet now all of his disciples are doing the exact same things that he's doing, that he did. So they arrested Peter and John, and they sought to do away with them quietly. You ready for this, beloved? I don't think you are. If I had hair, it would be standing up right now. Acts chapter 4, they arrest Peter and John. They arrest faith and love. And Acts 4, verses 5 through 14, it says, The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They're at Annas' house. Don't forget that. Annas was there, but he's no longer the high priest. He is actually retired, and now Caiaphas is the high priest. But it says the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, the new high priest. John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account this day for this act of kindness shown to this cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people. Watch this. Who would have been in the room at this time? This is Annas' house. Remember the servants that got kicked out in the middle of the night? Would have been there serving. The servant girl. All the people that asked Peter if he knew him were standing in the room. Peter says, know this, you and all the people. He's looking at the servant girl. He's looking at the one that he cursed in front of. He says, then all the people of Israel know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Y'all missed the best part. Before the rooster crows, before the rooster crows, you'll have disowned me. Do you know the name Caiaphas? Back then they weren't given names, they were given definitions. Did you know that? Peter actually means on the rock or the big rock. They all had names. Caiaphas' name meant something. In the Greek, it meant searcher. In the Hebrew, the name Caiaphas means grand or great inquisitor, the one who searches for truth. But in the ancient Aramaic, the name Caiaphas means the rooster crows again. Before the rooster crows, you'll have disowned me three times. The rooster was crowing for the second time. Can you imagine the courage that raised up within Peter going, wait a second. Jesus didn't set me up to fail. He said before the rooster crows twice, I will have disowned him three times. I've already disowned him three times. He knows I'm not going to mess this one up. And he stepped out. Why didn't John 
See, John had never denied Jesus. He was the only witness that came forward and said, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is who he said he is. But if, the, if Peter would not have denied Jesus, out of the mouth of two to three witnesses, every fact is proven. So if Peter would not have denied Jesus, but said Jesus is who he said he is, Jesus could not have been condemned by the Jewish law. So therefore, Jesus could not have been condemned. He would never never been crucified. He would never been able to pay the price so that we can sit in this room today. Peter was part of the story. You'll all fall away. But before the rooster crows twice, Peter, you'll disown me three times. Peter standing there going, wait a second. Cock-a-doodle-doo, devil. I'm not giving this one up. I've already denied him three times. There will not be a fourth. Why do I preach that message, beloved? Because we are living in a time and a season where the sand in the hourglass is growing shallow. And what this world needs like never before is men and women of God who have not just had encounters with God, but whose lives have been altered and transformed by it. We'll all mess up. We'll all fall short. But will we be a part of the greatest story that will ever be told of God rescuing the nations. I want you to stand up with me all over this place. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence speaking in tongues. Let me explain something. We make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. But I am so grateful for it. Thank you for listening. If you're able, we would love to have you join us in service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find more information on Facebook. Just search Tucumcari First Assembly. Have a great day.